morning, church. How are you this morning? That's great. You guys can grab your seats. Can you believe that we are halfway through autumn? How crazy is that? I, can't, I don't know where the year has gone. It has just been flying past. It's crazy. Um, but obviously, we are um, in the lead up to Easter. We're coming up to Easter. And this is a really important and special time for us in our faith. And as a, as a Christian community, as a church community, we'll be uh, celebrating and reflecting on all that these days, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, all that these days signify for us in our faith. Good Friday being the day that, uh, that Jesus went to the cross, that he paid the ultimate sacrifice with his life so that we could have eternal life and relationship with God. But the story doesn't end there. And so on, on Easter Sunday, remember that Jesus rose and gave us victory. He rose with victory over sin and death so that we could live victoriously with him. Aren't you excited for that church? But this morning, I want to look at the lead up to these days. I want to look at a moment that happens prior to these accounts. We're in the lead up to Easter, and so I want to have a look at a moment that happens a week before. And so there's two accounts that I want to sort of examine side by side. And the first one can be found in John 12, verses 12 to 13, and this is what it says. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel. So now let's fast forward a little bit. And this account we can find in Luke 23, verses 20 to 23. Pilate addressed the crowd once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. These accounts, these two accounts that we read, take place within five days of each other. We start with seeing this celebration as Jesus enters the city. We see these crowds welcoming Jesus. They're excited. The, the, the city is just buzzing with anticipation for Jesus' arrival. And we see that in their adulation, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, here is the king. This, this joyous and hopeful scene, people welcome, welcoming the promised Messiah. But within five days, something changes. We fast forward from this scene of celebration to them standing before Pilate, demanding that Jesus be crucified from Hosanna to crucify him, from triumph to a trial. They go from crowning him to crowning him with thorns, crowning him as a king to crowning him with thorns, from loving him to loathing him. And church, I've been challenged by the Holy Spirit to consider how often I might do the same. How often can I be quick to switch from Hosanna to crucify him? How quick can I be to praise God in one breath, only to doubt or question him in the next? 
I'd like to say that uh, that never happens. I think we'd all like to believe that we would stay firmly planted in the praise Hosanna camp. But throughout history, humanity has had a habit of being fickle when it comes to God. And I'm no different. And I dare say that you aren't either. And so this morning, I believe that the Holy Spirit would encourage us to consider what our praise is dependent on. Because within five days, within a week, the crowds went from Hosanna to crucify him. And often in life, we too are presented with opportunities to respond to Jesus. And so the title of my message this morning, if you are taking notes, is to crown or to crucify. But before we go any further, let's just pray. God, we come to you this morning with open hearts ready to receive what it is that you would have to say to us. We put aside distractions and we lean in, believing that you want to speak. And when you speak, hearts are transformed. And so God, have your way this morning in our hearts. Amen. Amen. So uh, yesterday I was in Brisbane uh, for a Brisbane Bullets game. Now this is probably my uh, fourth game. is For those of you who don't know, Brisbane Bullets, a basketball game. I didn't know who they were uh, before I married into a family who were really passionate about basketball. So I've been to four of these games. Um, I don't actually know that much about basketball. I have no idea what's going on, but I genuinely do enjoy being in the room. I'm not invested that much in the game at all. Um, I have no idea what any of the calls mean. I have no idea what's happening pretty much at any time but you get in the room and there's this great energy the crowd just goes wild and I just feel myself getting sucked into this energy in the room I have no idea what we're cheering for I have no idea what's happening I'm just kind of like side-eyeing to see what other people are doing and so they're like yeah I'm like yeah (laughs) yeah that's what we want I have no idea what's happening it's so much fun but one thing that I have observed in my four games at the Brisbane Bullets games, is I think that quite possibly being the ref is the worst role in the game. Being the ref is the worst game. I've watched how the crowd will respond to the ref during these games. And I've got to say, I think my neck would be sore if I was the ref from the emotional whiplash of the game. One minute, they're a hero. The next, they're the villain. You know, the the ref makes a call against the other team, and everyone's like, yes, ref, yes. Good call. You're the best ref. Five minutes later, the ref makes a call against our team. What happens? Boo! A whole stadium of people, mostly adults, booing this one individual. But then five minutes later, he makes a call against the other team and everyone's like, yes, you know what you're doing, ref. We love you. From love to loathe and back to love again. The crowd's response is entirely dependent on what the ref does, on the call that the ref makes. This is the fickleness of the crowd. And this switch, this kind of fickleness is what we see in the account of Jesus' arrival to Jerusalem to his trial. Because just like the ref in the game, the crowd's response to Jesus was entirely dependent on what he did. 
was entirely dependent on him showing up and being who they expected him to be. The crowd had heard that Jesus was arriving to Jerusalem and they're excited. They're buzzing with anticipation. The news of of these miracles that Jesus had been performing throughout the cities had spread. They'd heard that, that he'd been healing people. He'd even raised someone from the dead. And so people were convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he was gonna come and set them free. They were waiting with great expectation for this liberator, who would free them from Roman rule, a triumphant ruler. And so when Jesus rolls into town, the crowd is buzzing with excitement. They've waited for this promise to be fulfilled, and it's finally happening. It's happening. This was the answer to their problems. This was the answer to their need. This is the moment they had been waiting for. He would overturn the Roman rule. He would make Israel great. All of the things that they had been hoping for and holding on to would come to pass. And so they welcome him with joy saying, Hosanna, 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 which means save us. Here is the one that would save them. But Jesus was not the Messiah they were expecting. They give him this this hero's welcome, the welcome of a king. But Jesus doesn't enter the way that they expect a king would. He doesn't enter on a chariot. He doesn't bring a great army with him. He comes in riding on a donkey. No pomp or ceremony, just riding a donkey. And the crowds realize that Jesus is not the Messiah that they were expecting because he turns up in the city and instead of turning over the Roman rule, he starts turning over tables in the temple. He starts challenging the authority of the religious leaders. He starts challenging the people on their own religiosity and hypocrisy. And so the excitement starts to fizzle out a little bit because this is not what they were expecting. This is not the Messiah that they were expecting. This isn't how things were supposed to go. We were promised a Messiah who would liberate us So why then are we still in the same place? Why then does it feel like nothing has changed, that our circumstances are no different? Jesus failed to live up to the crowd's expectations. And so expectation turns to confusion, and confusion turns to disappointment, and disappointment turns to anger. And so within five days, the crowds go from Hosanna to crucify him. By shouting, crucify him, the crowds are saying, Jesus, you didn't live up to the hype. You didn't live up to my expectation. You didn't fulfill my idea of the kingdom. The praise of the crowd is entirely dependent on what Jesus would do for them. Their praise was dependent on Jesus being who they thought he would be, who they wanted him to be. From Hosanna to crucify him within five days. What's happened here? Unmet expectation. Unmet expectation. Expectation has become resentment. Expectation has become disappointment. And in that disappointment comes disillusion. The disillusion that Jesus isn't actually who he says that he is. That Jesus actually won't do what he said that he would do. Unmet expectation, but it's in the midst of this disappointment and this heartbreak 
that Jesus does his most transforming work. Because can I tell you, church, that God's means of delivering his promise rarely align with our expectations. God's means of delivering his promise rarely align with our expectations. Jesus was not the Messiah that the people wanted, but he was the Messiah that they needed. But their expectation and their misplaced hope prevented them from actually being able to recognize who Jesus was in the midst of their circumstance. They cried out, Hosanna, save us, expecting liberation to come in the form of of the change in their circumstance, not realizing that God was at work and the liberation, the freedom that he was planning to bring, that he was working to give, went far beyond a change of circumstance. They were expecting a political reform and not realizing that God was actually going to give them a spiritual redeemer who would provide an eternal freedom so that they could never again be slaves. They couldn't see it because their expectation was not met. They had misplaced their hope. God's means of delivering his promise rarely align with our expectations. So church, what do we do when Jesus doesn't show up in the way that we're expecting? What do we do when our expectation does not match our experience? What is our response to unmet expectation? Because throughout life, there are moments where our faith can reflect the fickleness of the crowd. So often, our praise can be dependent on circumstance, on Jesus being who we thought he would be. When things are going good, we can praise him. God, you're good. But the moment that things start to go a bit pear-shaped, when circumstances deteriorate, We doubt him. We question his character. We can so often praise God as long as he's the God that I want. When we misplace our hope, we will find disappointment and heartache. When we search for hope in our circumstance, we'll always be disappointed because God does not intend to meet our expectation. He intends to meet our need. And so if we're so focused on seeing God work in a certain way, move in a certain way, we can be blind to the work that he's actually doing within us. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. Hope deferred can look like a whole bunch of things. Hope deferred can look like applying for job after job only to receive rejection after rejection. Hope deferred can look like a marriage that feels like it's spiraling. Hope deferred can look like a battle with long-term illness. Hope deferred can look like feeling stuck because you can't dig your way out of debt. Hope deferred can look like month after month of negative pregnancy tests. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. There are so many things that we can hope for. Hope deferred can look like any number of things because in a room this size, we're all hoping for different things. We all hold on to desires and dreams. And when the things that we're desiring, when the things that we're hoping for feel delayed, the longing that we can feel from that 
can make the heart feel sick. We can feel overcome by it. And so what this verse in Proverbs is telling us is that it's so important to evaluate what it is that our hope rests on. There's nothing wrong with desires. There's nothing wrong with having wants and dreams. God tells us to make our requests known to Him. But the fulfillment of these desires cannot be where our hope rests. Because if it is, we will find ourselves heartbroken every single time when our expectations aren't met. When we search for hope in circumstance, we will always be frustrated. But church, when we search for hope in Jesus, that is where we find eternal satisfaction. Not just in what he can do, but in who he is. You know, every Christian will probably say that they've heard Jeremiah 29, 11. Like, I think you have to learn it to become a Christian. If you look up most popular Bible verses, it's up there, just with, you know, John 3, 16. I have seen so much Christian merch that has Jeremiah 29, 11 slapped onto it, like mugs, journals, tote bags, car stickers, you know, you name it, someone's probably put Jeremiah 29, 11 on it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. And I think we can hear that sometimes and say, what's that, God? Plans to prosper me. Yes, please. Give me, give me, give me. Sounds good. But can I ask you this, church? What happens if the plans and purposes that God has for your life don't align with the plans and purposes that you have for your life? What happens then? What, are we still keen to sign up for Jeremiah 29, 11? We can find ourselves sometimes in life in places that, that we didn't expect to be. Life can take on a shape that we weren't anticipating. This isn't how it was meant to be. And so we can turn and we can say, God, where are you? I thought you had this sorted. You know, I thought you had plans to prosper me. Plans that I wouldn't be harmed. So why then, God, do I feel broken? Why then, God, do I feel hurt? I know that I've thrown that in God's, God's face before. You know, like, God, Jeremiah 29, 11, where's my prosperous future? But then God reminds me of the first part of the verse, which I think is so easy to overlook. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Too small, but extremely important words. I know. I know. And that's the bit that I think that we need to focus on. That's the part that we need to constantly remind our soul that God does have plans for me, that his plans will not fail me, but only he knows what those plans are. Only he knows how those plans will come to pass. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, we can make our plans, but God determines our steps. See, our expectations are so often based around what we want, where God plans his actions and his movement around what we need. You know, often as I'm praying to God, I want to be a really good Christian, and so I'll say, God, not my will, but yours alone. 
and it feels really good to say. It feels like I'm being a really good Christian. But then the Holy Spirit will tap me on the shoulder and say, "Uh, do you mean that? Do you actually mean that? Do you actually know what you're praying for? Because praying not my will, but yours, actually means letting go of the expectation that the circumstances will go in any particular way. It means letting go of control entirely. It's saying, I'm not putting my hope in the change of circumstance. I'm not putting my hope in my circumstance. I'm going to put my hope in you alone, God, knowing that you know the plans that you have for me, knowing that you will not fail me. It is the biggest trustfall of faith because we have no certainty in how it's going to look. But what we can know and what we can hold on to is that throughout the process, in the midst of circumstance, in the midst of mess, we have Jesus. And that's enough. That's enough. That's a huge thing to say. And I know that despite my best efforts, I haven't always meant it. Because there's always some kind of unspoken condition in the back of my head. You know, Have your way, God, as long as it's my way. Have your way, God, as long as you don't ask me to do anything that I don't want to do. God, have your way, uh, as long as you don't ask me to do anything that goes beyond my comfort. God, you're my number one, as long as I don't have to come second. God, let your plans succeed as long as my plans don't have to fail. There's the unspoken conditions. But if God's means of delivering His promise rarely align with our expectations, then we should expect that God will move and speak and act in ways that we're not anticipating. So what is my response to that? What is your response to that? Because when our hope is misplaced, we can become like the crowd who turns on Jesus. We can be so keen for God to do His thing and then when He doesn't meet our expectation, we become angry and disillusioned. We doubt Him, we we question His character. But can we be reminded of what it says in Isaiah 55 verses eight to nine? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if God's ways and thoughts are not the same as ours, we are bound to encounter disappointment at some point. When we struggle to connect our expectation to our experience, We have to recognise the limitations of our understanding and embrace the limitlessness of God's. You know, that can feel so scary because it means we have no control. We can't see the whole picture. But the assurance of God's promise is that He sees. He knows the whole story. He knows the plans and the purposes that He has for your life. And while they may not come to pass in the way that you anticipate, He's most certainly at work. 
God does not intend to meet our expectations. He intends to meet our needs. God is often working on a much bigger and better plan to meet our need than we can see. But just because we can't see it at work, just because we can't understand it, just because it doesn't make sense to us, doesn't mean that He's not who He says He is. So what is our praise dependent on? Is our response to crown Him or to crucify Him? Depending on how He shows up in our circumstance. If God doesn't meet your expectation, what will your response be? So that means that if my circumstances don't change, if the doctor's report or diagnosis doesn't change, if the dreams that I have don't come to pass, if I'm still in the same place now as I was five years ago, if my business isn't growing the way that I expected it to, if the relationships that I have in my life aren't being repaired in the way that I'm believing for, if my financial situation doesn't improve, if my relationship status is not what I want it to be, will I still respond by crying out, Hosanna? Will I still declare that He is God, that He is good, that He is King? Will I still believe that He is who He says He is? Now, that is not to diminish the reality of our experiences. Life is hard sometimes. We can be dealt some curveballs. It is not to diminish the reality of our experiences, but rather identify where God is in the midst of our circumstances. Romans 5 verses three to five says this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Misplaced hope will cause heartache. Just like Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Placing our hope in expectation, placing our hope in a particular result, in in things going a certain way, will only lead to heartbreak. But finding hope in the midst of our circumstance, finding the peace of God is, is what actually fulfills our hope. And it's in this hope that we find eternal satisfaction. Let that be the hope that we cling to. It's not to diminish the reality of what we go through, but we cannot place our hope in the circumstance because we will come up empty every time. Come on church, why don't you stand with me? Hope is is not changing the circumstances to see God at work. Hope is recognising that God is at work, even in the midst of the mess, right in the middle of it all, in the middle of the struggle. Hope is knowing that even if nothing changes, He's still good. He's still God. He is who He says He is. He has plans to prosper me. 
He has a hope and a future for me. He will not fail me. That is what hope is. That even if the things I dream of do not come to pass, I am sustained by the love of God who sees the whole picture, who sees the whole story, even when I can't. And so this morning, I'd love for us to close our eyes as we finish up. And I just wanna give an opportunity for, for people in this place to respond. Because I believe that in a room this size, there are a bunch of hopes. There are a bunch of things that people are dreaming of. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that God does. And perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like that hope has been misplaced. Perhaps you've been trusting in your circumstances turning out a certain way. Perhaps you've been holding on for for days, months, weeks, years, believing that there would be a certain outcome and not seeing that come to pass. And just like Proverbs says, you're feeling that heart sickness, that longing, because hope deferred makes the heart sick. Perhaps you feel that that's you, dealing with the unmet expectation. And so this morning, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond because I believe that God wants to give you a peace, that He wants to give you a strength through your circumstances. And that strength and that peace can only be found when we place our hope in Him, when we recognise that He is at work, that He is God, when we crown Him as King of our heart. When we say, God, have your way with with no conditions, whether it goes my way, whether it goes according to my picture or my expectation, it doesn't matter, God, because I just wanna have hope in You. I just wanna know You, to recognise You in the midst of it. And so if that is You this morning, I'd love to pray for You. So if that is You, right now, just pop your hand up. It's just me looking. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Thank you. God, I just pray for every single person in this place who's responded, who wanna draw near, who recognise that perhaps their hope has been misplaced. Perhaps they're dealing with unmet expectation. They've been holding on to, to a particular outcome, a particular expectation, and it's not coming to pass. And there's heart sickness and brokenness and longing. But God, right now, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, that you would just speak to those hearts that you would give the assurance of your love, of your peace, God, that they would know that you never let them down, that there's never a moment that you're away from them, that through every moment, just like Jess was talking about this morning, it's not just the beginning, it's not just the end, but it's throughout the entire journey, God, that they would sense your presence, even in the midst of mess, even in the midst of brokenness, even when it seems like there's no way forward, God, that they would know that their hope is safe in You. 
that it is only in you that they will find their hope sustained, that they will have the endurance and strength to go on. And so God, I pray for every person in this place that they would know that. Not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. Amen.